and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. Well, today on the show, we are going to talk a little about increasing protein levels in wheat. But if you've got any questions for us, or if there's anything you'd like to talk about that's happening on your farm right now, the number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. So there are going to be a lot of things that we're going to talk about throughout the show today to help you increase protein levels in wheat. And quite frankly, this could help you in just about any crop. I'll just give you one quick thing to start with, though. From everything I've always seen, it's number one been how much available nitrogen do you have late in the season? So you got to have enough nitrogen to make yield. But what happens a lot of times is if the season's going good and your plant goes, oh boy, we can produce more yield, it takes the nitrogen that would go to protein, uses it for yield, and now your protein level drops. So if you want to have good protein levels in wheat or any crop, you've got to have good available nitrogen late in the season. Not just early, not just mid-season, but late in the season. All right, uh, let's jump to the phone lines right now. we got Tony calling in from Minnesota. Tony, how are you doing today? Well, it's a good day. It's sunny out and it's snowing, and the soil temperature is 38 degrees, if that makes you feel better. Excellent. It's above freezing. That's wonderful. Sounds like time to plant to me. <laughs> sounds like it's a little too Sounds like a little too warm to be out ice fishing, though. A little bit, a little bit. So, say, I got a question on calcium. There's okay. some chatter about using like a 3% EDTA calcium carbonate type product in furrow or two by two, two by zero on yes. the planter. Yep. Wondering what your guys' opinions, what conditions that would work best in. Yes. Um, placement um, or other soil considerations. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you about just a few experiences we have. We've got some guys that farm out in western South Dakota with really low calcium levels, and so our guys have tried a number of things with them. One is putting some seed treatment calcium on, and that's actually paid dividends. Uh, they've used some calcium in furrow. That has paid dividends. I don't know about the two-by-two two for sure, but all I know is this. We want good, balanced fertility all the time. And I'm going to just sidestep this for one second here on you, Tony. The, the big talk, of course, everywhere in the world for the last year has been COVID. Well, one of the things they've shown with COVID is you have a lot better chance of surviving it when you have good available nutrition in your body and especially micronutrients. They talk about micronutrients all the time. So, or secondary nutrients. Now it's not necessarily calcium is one of the ones that gets brought up often, but you know, it's the same kind of thing in plants. If we don't balance things in plants well, we've got a problem. So yes, with calcium, we, we do see that that absolutely can help for the guys that are low on calcium. But like in your case, where you farm in Minnesota, there are a lot of pretty calcium-rich soils there. So, I mean, it's certainly worth a try if you want to throw some calcium out to think that, well, maybe a little more getting into the plant early in the season could help. It, it, it's certainly possible. I, I, I wouldn't count on a whole lot, but I would say we often have Dick Goff on the show. He used to be at Midwest Labs for many, many years, and he talks calcium all the time. That's like literally all he wants to talk about with us. When we have Neil Kinsey up to uh, our our 
field day site doing workshops every year. What's the number one thing he talks about? Takes a whole calcium. day to talk calcium. Right, most times, right. Yeah. So, I mean, these guys who are way smarter than we are, uh, they talk calcium literally all the time and way more than NP and K. You go, you know what? Maybe it is worth a try to throw some calcium out there in furrow or two by two. You're probably not going to spend a lot. And here's the other piece of good news, Tony. Um, I don't care what you do on the farm as long as you don't screw up your yield. Hopefully, you're going to make a profit this year. The commodity prices are great. So if if there was, well, I'm just trying to say, if there was a year to try something out that's a few dollars where you go, well, I'm not sure if this is going to pay or not, this is probably the year to try it. Oh, absolutely. One quick question then. Do you think calcium in with nitrogen on a two-by-two would work? Would it tie up that you can see any situation? I'm not worried about the tie-up. I would only be worried about the mixing. As long as it mixes okay, then you should be fine. And So that's all I'd worry about. Okay. All right. Thanks, guys. You bet. Thanks, Tony. Good luck out there. Yeah, he talks about the snow they had there. We had about an inch of snow last night. We've got roughly, I'm going to say, 500 acres of corn in the ground already. I'm not nervous about it, but I sure don't like the fact it got to 15 degrees here this morning. So that's not ideal after you've planted corn, but, you know, that's that's the way it goes. I will say this. The big thing that our dad always used to stress to us, whether it was fall or spring, he said, look, if you start three days late, don't forget, that means you finish at least three days late now. And for us in our region, when we start late or, you know, whether it's harvest or planting or spraying or whatever it is, it's not that big a deal on the first few days. It makes an enormous difference at the end many times. In the fall, we think about the snow flying, ground being frozen. I mean, having nothing but a nightmare for harvest. But I think about in the spring, if we plant late, we lose lots of yield. Our yield numbers a lot of times. Now, not always, but most of the time, it drops off pretty severely when we start planting late. So I don't mind planting into cold soils. I was sure hoping we weren't going to be at 15 degrees anymore. But anyway, it'll warm up and and things will get a lot better. We're, We're planning to start soybean planting next Monday. That's the first date for crop insurance in our area. We would always advise you, don't plant before the first crop insurance date. The crop insurance companies know when the right times to plant are because they've got all the data. So if they say don't plant till April 26th, I'm not planting till April 26th. But you know what? We're probably going to get a lot of our beans in next week, hopefully almost all of our beans next week. And uh, we, we want to be timely. We just don't want to get too crazy early or certainly very late. All right. So again, today we're going to be talking about increasing protein levels in wheat on the show. If you've got any questions for us, just call us 844-44-AG-PHD or send us an email radio at agphd.com. Stay tuned. We're going to get back to the phone lines right after this. If you're looking to get the most out of your foliar nutrition and fungicide programs, ask your ag retailer about Nutex EDA from Sipcam Agro. Nutex EDA has been proven to increase foliar micronutrient tissue levels and maintain those levels for an extended period of time. When tank mixed with fungicides, Nutex EDA helps support plant health, resulting in higher quality and yields. Nutex EDA is an affordable and effective solution that should be part of every grower's high yield toolbox. 
Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. You're looking for soybeans that give you the yield you want. But when it comes to fighting your toughest weeds, you also need flexibility. Introducing Extend Flex Soybeans. Elite genetics with triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate. The yield you want, the choice you need. Learn more at extendflexsoy.com. Always read and follow IRM where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, talking wheat on today's program and specifically talking about increasing protein levels in wheats. There's a lot of important things when it comes to managing the wheat crop. And Brandon and I talk to a lot of farmers throughout the year, and everybody's got a favorite crop. I know one person whose favorite crop has to be wheat. It's Phil Needham with Needham Ag Solutions or Needham Ag Technologies, excuse me. Phil, thank you so much for joining us. Yes, sir. Darren, how are you doing today? Well, doing quite well. All right. So if wheat was your second favorite crop or third favorite crop, chances are you aren't managing as much as if it's your first favorite crop. And one of the ways that we see a lot of farmers able to uh, find a way to raise their profit levels is by catching some of these protein premiums that are out there. But how do you do that, Phil? Sure. So in the, I was listening to the very first few moments of the show and Brian made a comment that said it's all about nitrogen and I would agree with that. So nitrogen is obviously a function of you know, amino acids which are building blocks for protein. So having, as just as Brian said, having an adequate or more than adequate amount of available nitrogen in the soil profile is absolutely critical for protein. Now sulfur has an active part too perhaps zinc in certain environments, but having enough nitrogen available to that crop is absolutely key. So there's, there's a lot of things that spin off that topic, especially yield potential and moisture. I mean, some people in North Dakota may fertilize with nitrogen for 70 bushel wheat, and then hopefully they get in-season rainfall, and before they know it, they may have 80 or 90 bushel potential and if they don't add some more nitrogen over the top, they're going to be in a deficit situation on nitrogen. They're going to be short, and that's going to influence protein. I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of times farmers will say, well, man, I had good yields but low protein levels. And the follow-up question we often have is, 
have is, all right, how much nitrogen did you put out there? And you're right. Almost every time the guy's like, well, I probably should have put more nitrogen out there. Does raising protein necessarily have to come at the cost of yield? Or can you get 100 bushel, 200 bushel wheat and still have good protein levels? So I'm originally from England, as you know, and it would be relatively common for many English producers to raise milling wheat, which is hard wheat, 150 to 200 bushel yields with 13, 14, 15% protein. There's also a lot of growers I work with in Arizona and, and spots of California, mostly Arizona. And then guys can raise 130 to 160 bushel Durham but they can get 13, 14, 15% protein. So it's definitely possible, but the key ways that they're achieving it is number one, putting adequate nitrogen and sulfur on, and number two, getting some of that nitrogen and sulfur on later in the growing season, because obviously protein is laid down last in the compartmentaling of the, of the grain. So you've got to have adequate N and perhaps sulfur, depending on the soil tests, available later in the season. So post-applying, at least some of that nitrogen is critical if you want good yields and protein, especially in a year when it starts raining, your yields go up, and you've got a gap between what you fertilize for at seeding time, assuming you're in the Dakotas with spring wheat, for example, and what the yield potential now requires. All right, so I'm glad you brought that up, that that putting a little bit more on late definitely helps and is important. And I know Brian will talk about having availability late, but we've got heavy ground and dry land and like take the Western Dakotas, for example, they, they might not get much rain from here on out. And so a lot of those guys say, man, I got to get nitrogen out early if I want it to be even activated and down in the soil. What about using controlled release type nitrogen or even ammonium sulfate where you're going to have a delayed release of the nitrogen. Is that another strategy for some of these dry land and dry area guys? They certainly are. And another possible solution or another product to consider is liquid urea. And that can be applied to hard wheat for protein advancements, even when you're in a dry arid climate with no forecasted rainfall because liquid urea especially that with the low burette content which doesn't burn much or hardly at all so just to be clear liquid urea is not uan it's not 28 or 32 percent it's generally 18 to 21 percent and it's liquid urea which can be foliar applied ideally around soft dough stage and we've seen in 75 to 90 bushel wheat somewhere around 10 to 15 gallons of actual liquid urea will commonly get you half to three quarters of a percent of protein increase in those yield ranges, okay? Yeah, that's great. That's a great tip. And and yes, you're right. Liquid urea, different product than liquid 28%, liquid 32%. Uh, okay, so you're putting that out a little bit later in the season, and you can drive that into the plant, even in a dry land environment. Those are good tips. Um, a couple of things. How about plant health? I've heard a lot of farmers say, too, by their by increasing their fungicide use and really focusing on keeping those leaves clean, they feel like they've done a better job not only in yield but in protein. Do you see a correlation there, too? 
Yes, and I think in the Dakotas, a common component of plant health is getting FOSS in the row at seeding time. And I think 70 or 90% or whatever you think of growers in that region would get FOSS in the row. Now, you get down into Kansas and Nebraska, Oklahoma, that number declines some. And then you get into the eastern states, it declines quite a bit more. But I've seen plant health is really, really a function of adequate FOSS. And if you can get FOSS in the row at seeding time when you plant the winter wheat or spring wheat, that's huge from a point of view of plant health. Then if you can top it up with one or two or three fungicides as required by the region and the rainfall, you can really add to that plant health. So I think it starts with FOSS. I mean, it starts with adequate nutrition to start with, but it begins with FOSS and then you build on that with nitrogen and then the fungicides to protect the potential, okay? Sure, sure. Now, the other thing, when you talked about nutrients earlier, Phil, you mentioned that sulfur plays a role and even zinc in some situations. Where do you see those nutrients coming into play here? You can often pick out regions of fields, especially on rolling ground. Uh, Maybe there's some side hills that have some erosion issues, just lower organic matter regions that don't have a lot of inherent sulfur within them eroded lower organic matter soil areas. So oftentimes sulfur can be variable rated if you know where them regions are based on just visual observations. You can see some deficiencies and then back that up with a soil test or a tissue test. But yeah, most definitely sulfur is a component within wheat yields and protein. And in most areas, I think of the Dakotas or the Central Plains, it's not a common... In those areas, I don't think it's a common deficiency problem, but there's definitely regions in the field that often respond to sulfur. Now, zinc, uh, you know, a lot of guys are raising corn. A lot of people are putting zinc in the row or or broadcast applying zinc, so they're applying some zinc, so there's not as many deficiencies. But if if you've not had a history of sulfur or zinc, I'd certainly encourage guys to look at those from a point of view of a soil test or a tissue test and keep your eyes open for deficiencies on side hills and things, okay? Yeah, there's a lot of things going on out in fields, and you're right, there's definitely variability out there that we need to keep an eye on as well. We're talking with Phil Needham with Needham Ag Technologies. Uh, Phil, always always great having you on the show. Love hearing from you. Hopefully you're getting back out there a little bit now with uh, the pandemic seemingly getting under control a little bit. Yeah, it seems like there's been a lot of online seminars, webinars I've spoke at, but not been able to travel a lot for the last 12 months plus or minus. But it's starting to open up quite a bit more now. Yes, sir. All right. Well, you can check out more content from Phil at NeedhamAg.com. Phil Needham, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. You're welcome, guys. Good luck. Talking about increasing protein levels in wheat on our show today. Also taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844 44 ag phd or by email radio at agphd.com we'll be right back after this protect your empire rule your fields with dual modes of action 
low-use rate Authority Supreme herbicide from FMC combines Group 14 and Group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. This is Quick Dick McDick from Tufnell asking you, have you heard of Mandaco Land Rollers? They're the ones with the green paint, and I'm not talking about the green paint that requires a technician and a laptop to fix. I'm talking about the Mandaco green paint that doesn't need fixing because it's built tough. We're talking 5 8 thick, 42-inch diameter drums, people, and I've learned never to talk about size unless you can back it up when a measuring tape gets pulled out. So keep your seed and rocks in the ground where they belong and get yourself a roller at mandaco.com. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. When it comes to leading herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. New Farm brings you Cheetah, a high-quality glufosinate herbicide made right here in the USA. Now for use on a wide variety of crops with glufosinate-resistant traits, including enlist crops. Its novel mode of action will manage existing or emerging herbicide resistance and provide fast, effective results. This means you can focus more on profitability and less on weeds. New Farm and Cheetah Herbicide, here to help. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, talking about increasing protein levels in wheat and also tackling any agronomic question you may have at 844-44-AG-PHD. Real happy to have Lee Lubers on farms in South Dakota with his brother Terry. Lee, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, good to be here. All right, we're talking about protein levels in wheat. Is that a big issue for you on your farm, or for you on your farm? Do you get paid an extra premium for protein? Well, our primary goal is always focus on yield, and usually we can score 12 or above, uh, but the more we focused on balanced fertility, more the Neil Kinsey approach, and uh, <laughs> filling in all the gaps, we've noticed not just yield going up, but protein too, and it was especially evident in our 
2020 crop when we were cutting uh, phenomenal wheat and uh, cutting 14 and a half and higher protein. Wow. Uh, and we feel the uh, balanced fertility approach was the real key. Yeah, that's awesome. That's And, and honestly, we had Phil Needham on earlier, and he talked about that quite a bit. He said, you know, you got to find those areas and fields that are causing you problems and dragging you down. And it may be something different. He had identified sulfur, too, for a lot of guys that, man, there's some guys that just are really low in sulfur, and it's hard to build protein without that. Yeah, sulfur has been part of our program for oh, probably a little over 20 years. And, uh, yeah, it, it's definitely instrumental. It's it's one of the components. And, and then as we learn to properly address copper, boron, and even zinc, uh, it's all coincided together that yield and quality, you know, protein has gone up with it. How about crop rotation, Lee? I know that, that on your farm, you guys have done a lot of different things with crop rotation. Have you found one that seems to set you up a little better for successful wheat crops? Uh, for wind protection, we like, if we stubble into winter wheat stubble again, we'll do that on a few fields, but most of our winter wheat's going into soybean stubble. So it's just being out there at the right time of the day. Don't get antsy in the morning. Don't go out and hairpin it. Uh, when usually when the combines are quitting at night, uh, within 30 minutes, you'll be quitting two seeding because you don't want a hairpin. And if we focus on just doing a good job on the seed bed, we'll be fine. Okay. Talking about that seeding process, one of the things that Phil said that he's had some guys have success with is putting phosphorus in the row at seeding time that they seem to really improve crop health. Is there any any fertility that you're doing at the planter time that you say, man, if I didn't have that, I'd be in trouble? Uh, phosphorus, absolutely. Uh, that's a must. And we also apply uh, potassium chloride, 0060, a uh, small rate uh, in with the seed. And we've seen a dramatic increase in uh, root development and in tiller growth in the fall, which is always a challenge for us because we're usually planting earliest best case scenario in October. So the challenge for us is to get it established before we get shut down for the winter time. How about nitrogen? Uh, one of the things that we talk about a lot is, man, there's there's just some different challenges when you're in historically dry country. Now, it doesn't mean every year is going to be super, super dry, but how do you handle the nitrogen piece in season? Well, we never back off on it. <laughs> uh, even uh, in the fall of 2019, we were excessively wet and we couldn't seed our acres till. Some of it was actually up in the middle of November. We actually frost seeded. The frost came out and we went and we could just get it into the ground, cut it into the ground and we planted it. All it did is vernalized and that winter and in the spring of 2020, it was just spiking through in early April. And it was two months after you would like to be planting. And normally you'd say, hey, let's cut some corners. It's not gonna be a good crop. Instead, we took the philosophy of let's see what we can do with this. And that's when we hit it aggressively. We actually bumped our urea up a little bit. We focused on balanced fertility with all the nutrients. And we came through with one of our top three wheat crops. And for the first time ever, we had consistent acres 
of wheat that we were cutting at 15% with green flag leaves. And that was fertility and fungicide coinciding together. But we know we could not have achieved that without fertility. But we kind of proved something to ourselves because it was well after the optimum time for seeding, but yet we came through with an optimum crop by managing it and focusing on fertility. Yeah, there's a lot of pieces there that, that you've put together over the years. One of the things I've always respected about you and Terry Lee is just that you're, you're open with your information. You're always sharing with other growers. You always keep other folks around. Uh, I know you're involved with the extreme ag group and certainly you deal with farmers all across the country and literally around the world over the years. What do you think that part has really contributed to, to how you're managing the wheat talking to, to guys all over? There are things that we're all doing different in certain aspects, but there's always so many commonalities, whether it's New Zealand, Australia, Canada, United States. It's still focusing on good fertility management, disease management. All those things, are they're, they're, they're in common. It doesn't matter where you are in the globe. Those things are just critical. All right, so world record wheat grower, who you know very well, plants a lot less seeds per acre than you do, Lee. What do you think about that? Can it work where you're at in dryland South Dakota compared to what he's doing in irrigated uh, New Zealand ground? Uh, well, he challenged us. He challenged the way we should look at it and think about it on uh, later seeding and tillering, and we have actually went and reduced rates up to 40%. And we learned a lot in 2020, and we know we're going to learn a lot more this year. So we're really excited about it. It's it's good to get new ideas that challenge you and take you outside your comfort zone and go, hey, maybe this can work. All right. So if you were dropping a challenge to everybody listening today in their wheat crop, what would be something you'd say isn't in the majority yet, but probably should be the challenge, guys, to give a give a try to this year? Don't be afraid to try something new. That's the only way you're going to learn. And don't back down to fertility. That is critical on your wheat crop. Uh, focus on that fertility component and balancing it. And don't forget about boron. Huge, huge part of it. Uh, we know that. We've seen that. And, uh, yeah, just focus on that, all the balanced parts of fertility, and I think you'll be very pleasantly surprised. Outstanding information. Talking with Lee Lubers, great farmer in South Central South Dakota. Lee, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Good luck to you this spring. Thank you. All right, Brian, we got uh, an interesting text that came in. This one's from Dick up near Green Bay, Wisconsin, and he sent us a picture of a freshly planted cornfield, and now it's got three inches of snow on it, and he said they're yeah. about 26 degrees up there. He said, Brian, will be glad to see this. Well, let's put it this way. We've had a foot of snow on planted corn before, and it's turned out fantastically well. A lot of people talk about the little bit of nitrogen that gets carried through the atmosphere with that snow so you will get an increase in nitrogen. You've now got moisture, which you need to get that crop started. Don't worry about the temperature. It's going to be fine. Corn actually can germinate in the 40s. It does not have to be 50 degrees. It can be just a little over 40 degrees, and your corn can germinate, especially if you have good seed treatments and stuff. But, yeah, I mean, I don't love it that it's cold and it's snowing and everything else. That's not what I would ideally like, but we've done it many times. It's turned out fantastic. 
All right. Uh, no, more mailbag questions here coming in. We're kind of already in that, aren't we? No, we, we we have not played the mailbag music, but um, we, <laughs> I we, want I want music to play that makes Brian sing. I thought I think that would be amazing, Janelle. If we had mailbag music that Brian just couldn't help himself but to sing. You know, I'm not a singer, but I do like talking agronomy. So I'm very happy when we get through the mailbag music. I and I like music, but <laughs> I like answering questions a lot better than I would like attempting to sing ever. So anyway, we're going to get to that well, right for, after this. Fortunately, your wife can sing, it, so you don't have to. Yep, there you go. But yeah, if you've got any questions, just send us here. Uh, send them to us at radio at agphd.com. And we got a little bit of time left today too. We our phone lines are open now. If you would like to call in, the number is 844 44 ag phd. That's 844 844- Four four two four seven four three, and we will get to the aforementioned Ag PhD mailbag right after this. Weather or not, relentless control is what you get with Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Protect your season from tough broadleaf weeds and grasses with dual modes of action and overlapping residuals that also minimize resistance. With an easy-to-tank mix formulation and wide application window, Anthem Max Herbicide is ready when you are. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. When it comes to weed control, our cards have always been on the table because we believe you deserve near-zero volatility, flexible tank mixing, and a wide application window. That's the Enlist Weave Control System. Just better. With no ifs, ands, or buts. Discover better weave control. Enlist.com. Enlist.com. Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. One question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. (sighs) Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice, with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Downtime during spraying can lead to huge yield losses. Keep rolling with the Pentair Hypro Force Field. This pump features a unique self-regulated chamber that allows the pump to run dry while eliminating cracked seals, so you can spray longer and more reliably. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases the seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. 
Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Hey everybody, come on in. The Ag PhD Mailbag is about to begin. Uh, we got some fun questions coming in today to the Ag PhD Mailbag. Let's dive in first. We got one from William who happens to be a soil scientist down in the state of North Carolina. And he said, a couple of things for you guys. First of all, you were talking about if you're mixing glyphosate, that you could actually reduce the effectiveness when you're tank mixed with some of the group fours, like dicamba specifically, you had mentioned. Just you wondering, will reduce it, is that true for all the group fours, including 2,4-Ds, MCP, fluoroxypure, et cetera? Uh, I, I don't know if I could say for all the group fours, but let's put it this way. You're not going to mix all the group fours with Roundup. You're going to put uh, either, most likely, 2,4-D or dicamba with it, and both of those absolutely will reduce the performance of your glyphosate. So we've talked on, on our shows for, well, AgPHD TV has been on the air for over 23 years now, and we've talked about it since day one that what we have seen as agronomists and farmers for decades now is that when you put grass herbicides together with broadleaf herbicides, or like in this case, 2,4-D or dicamba with Roundup, you will have some what we call antagonism where the performance of one does get reduced. Now, why is that exactly? Okay, there are a lot of reasons why this could happen. And and quite frankly, I don't know exactly what it is with this one. I just know the result in the field is always worse. Uh, But could it be a chemical breakdown in the tank? So when you mix the two together, something happens chemistry-wise. Could it be in the plant that because of the one chemistry being in there, the the performance of the other chemistry is reduced? Uh, Could it be something else? I, I don't know what it is exactly. All I know is it's worse. So if I put, let's just say I've got a quart of 2,4-D or a pint of dicamba, and I'm going to throw that with 32 ounces of Roundup, it's like I'm using, it varies, 20 ounces, 24 ounces, something like that. All I know is we don't see the same performance out of the glyphosate as when we spray the glyphosate itself, just all by itself, on certain weeds. All right. Uh, then one other question here, William asks, I'm wondering, do you worry about salt buildup by applying fertilizer year over year? We have very low organic matter soils here in North Carolina. I don't want to run into an issue hurting microbial life by putting on too many salts year after year. I do get quite a bit of rainfall, and I think I know what you're going to say, but just <laughs> curious what your answer is. Yeah. So am I worried about salt buildup? Of course I am. We're always worried about what's our overall soil health. But if this gives you any indication, a lot of the soils labs in your region of the United States don't even give me readings on salt or sodium. So if they're not concerned about it, why would I be concerned about it? The reason why we're not concerned about it in your area is you get about three to four times the rainfall we do. Your soil's way lighter than ours is in the Midwest, and your ground doesn't freeze usually. So our ground's frozen, look like frozen solid for five months out of the year. Our ground is way heavier than yours, and we get so much less rain that we have a lot more risk of buildup. So, that yes, it, it's absolutely concerned. I just looked at somebody's soil test this morning, in fact, where 
I mean, it looked bad. I mean, bad to the point where the soil is almost dead. Now, it's because of drainage. Okay, If you have good drainage and you're doing everything else right, putting appropriate amounts of fertilizer on, you can absolutely apply fertilizer every single year. And in fact, you could apply fertilizer every week if you put appropriate amounts of the right stuff on. All right. Uh, got a question from Matthew, too, that we'll get to that's very similar to that one. But first, we're going to go back to the phone lines here. We've got Gordon on with us right now up in Michigan. Gordon, how are you doing? Good. Thanks for taking my call. You bet. Got some uh, annual bluegrass and winter wheat, and I've never had to deal with a grass in my wheat before, so I'm just kind of wondering what you folks might recommend. You've never had a grass problem in wheat before? That's awesome. <laughs> There's a lot yeah, of farmers yeah. that we talk to that every year it's like, okay, I got all of this kind of grass taken care of. Now it's this one. <laughs> What's next? Yeah, or... it's mostly broadleaf on my farm. So <laughs> Okay. Oh, well, that's a lot easier in the wheat rotation. And and then the other yeah. thing, if you haven't been spraying for grass all the time in, in wheat, chances are you've got uh, a lot of good response then out of the two families that are predominantly used, group ones and group twos, the ACCAs and the ALS type herbicides. The other one that's that's been new though in the wheat arena has been the group 15 product Zidua or you could also get it in Anthem Flex and that's been one that's uh, a nice product on annual grasses and we've seen uh, some good activity even on some of the tougher grasses like Italian ryegrass so that's one that you could always start with that. So the winter wheat is how big right now and how big is the grass? Oh it's at about Almost peak six, almost. And the grass is the uh, weed that you've got coming, the annual bluegrass? Uh, that's a little harder for me to define, Darren, because um, I'm not so I'm not very familiar is with it. it. Is it uh, tall, though? Is it a couple inches tall, an no, inch tall? No, no. It, it'd be a couple inches tall, yes. It is that tall, yes. Okay. Yeah, so the problem here is it, it's just tough to kill bluegrass with a lot of the grass herbicides, the common grass herbicides that we're talking about. So the only one that I could really think of, or at least this chemical family, is PowerFlex. So that's also found in a a couple other products that are now available, um, and this is a Corteva product. So almost any Corteva herbicide that you can think of that's got a grass killer in there, it's got the same active ingredient in it. Um, so, for example, Open Sky would have this. Gold Sky would have this. But, uh, or, or you could buy straight PowerFlex. But it is labeled on one species of bluegrass, and it's just that, like you say, the annual bluegrass is what we're talking about. So that's right. what I would, that's certainly what we would try, what we would recommend is at least one of those products. The, the straight power flex is going to be the best. Otherwise, and, and you did say this is winter wheat. I just want to make absolutely sure that you said winter wheat, right? Yeah, that's right? correct. Yep, yeah, because yeah, power flex yeah. itself is only labeled on winter wheat, not on spring wheat. But anyway, okay. on, on winter wheat, yep, you can go ahead with, uh, uh, with power flex or, like I say, gold sky or open sky, and you're, you should be in fairly good shape. And here's the other good thing, Gordon, is even if you don't get complete control, let's say it just dings that grass up pretty good, really severely stunts it. Wheat is so thick, it usually chokes it out. So, I, I mean, this should do it for you. You should be in good shape after this point. Have you ever heard of Osprey? Yes. Uh, that uh, Got any thoughts on that? Herbicide? Yeah. 
Yeah, we. I, I would say this. We don't talk about that particular herbicide that often. There are some folks we work with out in the state of Montana where they will use that. We just don't... Uh, for the grasses that we're usually talking about, we don't have an awful lot of um, a lot of a lot of reason to use that. But yeah, that is a good point. I guess that would be labeled as well for annual bluegrass. So that would be something you could use as well. Glad you brought I was that just one going up. Going off my uh, MSU control guy, they, yep. those were the two that had a good rating on yes. the bluegrass. But but the PowerFlex looked like it would pick up some control on a few of the other weeds right. and grasses, right. more so than the Osprey. Yep, so, yeah. yep, yep, you're right. Probably should wait before it's more than 30 degrees, though, right? <laughs> uh, no herbicide you spray that has contact activity <laughs> is going to work real great for the next few days. You are absolutely right. Yeah, and, hey, I, I'm glad you brought that up, too, because we do get a lot of questions about this. And guys will say, well, it's supposed to warm up tomorrow. And I go, it yeah. literally was below freezing today. So you've got to wait several days to let this stuff become actively growing again. Yeah, it was actually 23 here this morning. So 15 here. And well, 15, yeah. <laughs> I have a lot of fruit in my county, and I, I'm kind of so bad for those guys. Yep. I know it's pretty hard on their cherries. Oh, so. yep, we agree. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, Gordon, thanks for the call today. Appreciate it. Yep. Good luck. Yeah, thank you. You bet. Yeah, there are a lot of things to think about when it comes to that, and one of them that, that – got me a little concerned though too brian talking with gordon is just that the weed the grass out there that he's trying to control is already two inches tall and once that grass gets a little i mean you can still probably get it under control in a lot of cases at that height depending on which products you're using and which crop you're going out there but man there are some products already that you're already going to be off label a lot of them are already labeled to one maybe two inch weeds so we definitely want to be out there as early as we possibly can scouting for weeds well, stay tuned. We'll get back to more of your questions right after this. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. Are you worried about nitrogen loss this spring? Well, we asked retailers what they thought about Instinct NextGen Nitrogen Stabilizer from Corteva AgriScience. What they said was so inspiring, we got an actor to reenact it. <clears throat> it's a great return on investment. A great return. Investment, investment, great return. All right, I think I'm ready to record. It's that simple. Instinct NextGen is a great return on investment because it protects your nitrogen. Learn more at protectnitrogen.com. High-yield growers know that bringing in big bushels means establishing excellent emergence. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. The Germinator Spike design excels in variable soils and eliminates sidewall compaction. 
But what makes the Germinator unique is its inner rim shoulder firmer, which encases the seed with soil, maximizing seed-to-soil contact. It's not just any closing wheel. Reach your yield potential at farmshopmfg.com. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash farm your way. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time, you can call in with your agronomic question at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can certainly send us an email, radio at agphd.com. We heard from Sean, who said, Every year, we pretend like snow in April is shocking to us. Why? I agree. I agree. We know we're probably going to get some. We just hope that we aren't going to get it this late. All right, uh, we were talking about dicamba and Roundup earlier, and Matthew also had a question on that. He said, just could you explain why putting Roundup and dicamba together cut the Roundup effectiveness? We kind of talked about that a little bit earlier and wondering if 2,4-D would do a similar thing. Yes, it does a similar thing. Uh, and then his other question, he said... He oh, said, hey, wait a second, though. Before we go any further, dicamba and 2,4-D hurt the performance of a lot of things, like the volunteer corn herbicides. So a few people have been stunned when their volunteer corn herbicide didn't work very well when tank mixed with a dicamba product or a 2,4-D product on Extend or Enlist Beans the last three years. And I'm going, why is this surprising to you? We've been talking about this for 30 years now. So you put a grass killer with a broadleaf killer, it really hurts the performance of the broadleaf killer sometimes, but it really hurts the performance of the grass herbicide all the time. So we know for a fact you are going to need, if you want the same performance, to bump up your rate by, in some cases, 50% to 100%. Now, the good news is a 50% increase in a volunteer corn herbicide cost is like a dollar. So it's no big deal. You're going to spend just a little bit more money, but just bump the rate, and then you're going to be in a lot better shape. So we tell you the same thing if you put Roundup together with 2,4-D and you really need the Roundup for some tough weed, like let's say you're after quack grass or something, you got to bump the rate. Now, you can't exceed the label, the highest labeled rate, but quite often as farmers, let's be honest, we're not using the full labeled rates or even close. So you can bump the rates in most cases. All right. His other question, again, this is from Matthew. He's in Pennsylvania. He said, very common that, that guys are burning down with Roundup and 2,4-D here. That's why I'm asking the question. Also, just wondering about the corn post-emerge trips where Roundup and four to six ounces of uh, dicamba or a Diaflex yep. or a Status get used. Just wondering, do you have an issue with that or do you just adjust the Roundup rate accordingly? 
you adjust the roundup rate accordingly. But where the, the when you throw that broadleaf killer in there, you're going to take care of most of the broadleaves anyway. So what's the roundup killing? Grass. Well, what kind of grass are we dealing with in corn? Foxtails usually. Fox With a foxtail, you can kill that with eight ounces of six-pound glyphosate just fine. So when you're out there using 22 ounces of that six-pound glyphosate, or better yet, a lot of guys are going 32 because they want extra broadleaf help, you're way over what you need. So I would say eight ounces of the six-pound is probably enough to kill a foxtail. When you put 2,4-D or dicamba, well, dicamba in this case, with it, You'd probably have to get up to 14, 16 ounces to make sure you're going to kill it. But most everybody's over that rate anyway. So that's the reason why we don't typically see a problem in that scenario. All right. Thank you. Appreciate the questions. Thanks for for listening to us too, Matthew. Uh, This one comes from Scott. And he said, first of all, I want to say I've I've watched and listened to your show for years. And I got a couple questions for you. I live in California, unfortunately. That's his words. I, I just thought that was interesting because I'm like, what do you mean, unfortunately? He said, I'm putting water tanks in right now for fire protection and clearing all the brush for a radius of 150 feet around the farm here. I want to keep anything from growing back in that area as long as possible. My main issues are are woody species, tan oak and madrone. But the second problem I have is blackberries that are very established. I'm trying to get rid of for good as well. I'm growing hogs, goats, and cattle on the farm and just kind of curious what I could use. Also, they're, they're, uh, I'm, it's hilly here, so I'm concerned about any potential runoff into the watershed. <laughs> we were in great shape until you said runoff. If if we're trying to eliminate woody species for a long time, not and now is he talking everything or is he talking yeah, and he grass wants, and the whole works? No, he wants to leave the grass the way it sounds, yeah, but so, kill all the woody species yeah. off for 150 feet just to minimize fire risk there. Yeah, yep. So generally speaking, we're talking Tordon or Chaparral. Okay, so what about remedy in this situation when you don't have all the soil residual? That's what I was just going to bring up. So you could go remedy, but you'd have to go spray every, I'd I'd say every couple of months. You go out and spray remedy every couple of months. Remedy Ultra is not going to have any residual. Whereas Chaparral and Tordon, you're going to have years worth of residual. So, I mean, we don't see the leaching, Darren, with like Tordon and Chaparral like we do with some of the ground sterilants. So I'm not super worried about it as long as there's grass there holding the soil in place so we're not losing the soil and everything. We're probably going to be okay, but those would be the options, and I guess we'll leave it up to you, whatever you decide to do. But Tordon and Chaparral would be great products with lots of residual Otherwise, Remedy Ultra, every probably couple of months, you'll spray that and you'll kill the woody species. And, of course, labels change as you travel around the country and around the world. So, of course, we're not trying to recommend anything that's off-label in your area, but you'll just have to check the labels for for any local restrictions. All right. Oh, oh, we got a couple of questions in here uh, that I wanted to get to, Darren, on email. One was uh, from Doug, and he asked, Guys, do you think I could apply Fall Valor to control winter annuals mixed in my cereal rye cover crop going to beans (sighs) look this is the thing with a lot of these cover crops are we going to be worried about some of the weeds that are out there or are we not 
I, I, I mean, could I go out with a fall herbicide? Certainly you could if you would like to and kill off most everything else. But number one, is Valor even labeled in cereal rye? I don't know if it's even labeled. Darren, you can look that up for me. But two, it's like, who cares if there are some weeds out there? That's all, as long as it doesn't go to seed, it's all cover crop. I I mean, don't forget, a weed can be a cover crop too. It's not necessarily all bad as long as you kill it off before it goes to seed. So I don't know that I would be super worried about it in a lot of cases. because I look at cover crop, all cover cover crop, weed, everything kind of the same way that, hey, if it's growing in the spring in my region, that's not a good thing because it's sucking moisture away and we're just so dry most of the time. It's a problem. Okay. Go ahead. Say, say that again. What did you want to see labeled in rye, in cereal? Valor. Oh, okay. Valor. Yeah. Is Valor labeled in cereal rye? I doubt it, but you can check. Anyway, it, my, my whole point with this thing is um, I don't. I don't know if it's worth you spending any money on that. Uh, so I. I. I don't. I don't think that I would. If I'm throwing a cover crop out, usually I'm just going to go seed the cover crop. I'm going to hope for the best. I'm going to terminate it in the fall myself. If you want to terminate it early in the spring, that's totally up to you with your area. And maybe maybe it's not hurting anything to uh, to lose that spring moisture. For me, it is, uh, but it, maybe it's not for you. Uh, so Darren's going to get get us the answer on that. Yeah, sure. Uh, there are too many Valor variations too, so there's just a ton of different labels, which makes it interesting as well. They're all the same, but just look up Valor SX or uh, or Valor Easy. Either one doesn't matter. Okay, uh, we'll, we'll answer this next question quick while Darren's getting us the answer on that. This one is from Brian. He says, first off, thanks for putting together a great show. I've recently been diving deep into soil fertility and listening to you guys. I've learned a lot. One thing that's come up on the show is the importance of a good phosphorus to zinc ratio. I've heard 10 to 1 in the show, but is that universal for all soil types and crops? Um, It is universal, except for uh, different labs are going to run different extraction methods. So it's universal for soil types and crops, but it is not universal for all soil testing labs. So what we talk about quite often here on the show is do some of your own work on your farm and you'll be able to identify this if you've got enough points where you can compare the soil test to the yield then you're going to find this out. So we're doing this on over 2,000 grid points and we've done We've done over 2,000 grid points on our farm for each of the last three years, and it's somewhere around that 10 to 1 uh, has been pretty good. So now it doesn't have to be exactly that, okay? but it it needs to be at least relatively close. What we found is you start getting down to 3 to 1 or way up to 30 or 40 to 1, now we get a problem. Not labeled, Brian. Yeah, that's kind of what I, well, that is exactly what I thought. Valor is not labeled for cereal rye. So as agronomists, we we can't tell you to do something off-label and... So anyway, our, our suggestion would just be terminate that cover crop early enough in the spring before the weeds go to seed, and you should be in good shape. Right, thanks for all the questions today. And yes, the weather was definitely one that, that we did address a little bit because it got kind of cold. But looking forward to, to more planting questions coming up as, as things warm up as well. Thanks for listening to our program today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.